Hello, everyone. This is John Montoya. And this is John Parings. We are Infinite Banking Authorized Practitioners and hosts of the fifth edition. Episode number 59, the IBC application process. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about what it's like to apply for life insurance for the purposes of implementing the infinite banking concepts. Quite a few things that go into this. We'll talk about getting synced up with your agent or advisor, how to qualify, what are the qualifications to get life insurance. We'll talk about the actual application itself. We'll talk about underwriting, the timeframes and the amounts and the delivery of life insurance. So stay tuned. Awesome. Well, also to include there, making sure that you're also working with an infinite banking authorized practitioner, because that's really important as we'll talk about later on in the episode too. Yeah, absolutely. You can go to infinitebanking.org and that's where you'll find all the actual authorized infinite banking practitioners, super important. And so as we talk today about the application process, one of the things to understand is first of all, why do you even have to apply for it? And it's one of those assets because of the actuarial nature of the, of this type of asset, it's so powerful that you can't just buy it. You have to qualify for it. And that's one of the important things that I think people, I don't know, a lot of people really just overlook how powerful life insurance is. And we've talked about ad nauseum, how, you know, all the benefits of life insurance. So you can check out our other episodes to get that information. But the fact is it can just, it does so many things that no other financial asset can do that you have to qualify for it and you have to qualify for it with your health and your wealth. And so that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today in terms of how that works. Yeah. So to begin, are you in good health? Because what the life insurance companies are looking for especially when it comes to a whole life policy, which, you know, they are undertaking to accept premium from you for really decades. These contracts go out to age 121. So they want to know with as much clarity as possible, are you in good health? Are you a good risk for them to hold on to that premium, invest it for the long run? Because with a whole life contract, they know they are providing you with an exchange, your premium for a guarantee that there's going to be a death benefit there to be paid out to your beneficiaries. So you got to be in good health. You want to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And the there, there's that adage, the best time to get started was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. And if you're one of those people who, you know, are really unsure about your health, or you've got a family history of certain chronic illnesses, take advantage of today. Make sure that you take care of your priorities, your financial priorities, and you go through this process to qualify. So number one, you got to be in good health. The second thing is, what is your source of premium? Because if you're committing to this contract and it is a contract, there's really one side of the equation that you have to focus on. And that is funding your policy each year with premium. And you want to make sure that the source of premium matches the funding period. That's something that we've talked about in previous episodes. If you're making, let's say a hundred thousand dollars a year, $200,000 a year, how much are you setting aside 
for tomorrow? What is your standard? Everybody should have a standard savings amount that they are sticking with each year in order to build wealth. And there should be a portion of that is part of your premium. The underwriter is going to want to know what is your source of premium. And that could be from income. It can be also from a portion of your assets as well. And then the last thing, the last question that we would ask as practitioners is who benefits qui bono? Who is the insurable interest? Because if there is no insurable interest, the underwriter is going to come back to us and they're going to say, who, who is this death benefit for? So it makes me think of the janitor policies that used to be underwritten in the corporate side where the best example is Walmart, Walmart, which they used to insure even their janitors. And these were the lowest paying employees on their payroll and Walmart would pay the premium on their fees for them. And these people would never even know that the corporations took out these policies, but who benefits? Walmart, right? When it comes to individual policies, who benefits? It should be someone who has an insurable interest in your life. If you were no longer around, who would benefit from the death benefit? So to sum up, are you in good health? What is the source of your premium and who benefits? Yeah. And the insurance is an indemnification against loss. And so when you, when we talk about the source of premium, there has to be an income or there has to be assets there to protect and replace. And in the early years, what you're doing is you're replacing your income. If you were to die prematurely so that your family doesn't have to change their lifestyle, we're indemnifying your family against the loss of your income. And then in the case of whole life insurance, the insurance becomes asset protection so that we can replace the value of all the other assets that you were able to accumulate over the course of your life so that you can use and enjoy more in retirement without worrying about not leaving any for the next generation. So there has to be that income there and there has to be that source of premium. And speaking of source of premium, John Montoya has a pretty crazy story about the premiums for what we saw with another potential client and an advisor that he talked to. Correct. And it potential advisor. So we had someone reach out to us through the podcast and had learned about infinite banking through another advisor. And I did the introduction, learned a little bit more about his interest in IBC, figured out where his education level was in terms of what he knew about IBC. And he was really gung-ho on getting started. In fact, he had gotten started yesterday, so to speak. In fact, the previous week, he had submitted an application with the person who had introduced him to IBC, but he really wanted to learn about IBC from an expert. In fact, potentially become a practitioner himself. So that's how he reached out to us. And so I went through my normal process and I was asking questions about his background, what he does for a living, and come to find out that the application that he had submitted for life insurance for an infinite banking policy the previous week, it, it didn't make any sense. And I was talking to him about, if you're going to be a practitioner, you have to have integrity. You need to submit good business because ultimately when you submit bad business, you know, you're not going to stay in the business for too long and the life insurance companies really aren't going to work with you. Here's what happened. Uh, 
married, couple kids. He's got an income of around a hundred thousand. The wife works too. Income is twice his amount. And what I come to find out is that the premium on the application that was submitted was for $200,000 a year. And I, I asked him, where's the source of this premium coming from? Because this is twice your income. And I come to find out, well, the wife is also going to contribute. And I said, okay, help me make sense of this. Does your wife have any life insurance? No. Is she applying for any life insurance? No. Okay. Tell me where this, where the red flag is. You tell me your income is this amount. You're applying for coverage with premium. That's twice your annual income. And yet your wife has no application in process. So qui bono, who benefits, right? These should be simple questions that are answered. And unfortunately, it's not very difficult for people to come into this industry, but it's very challenging for them to stay in this industry long-term. And so that's why we mentioned you want to really find out who is an authorized IBC practitioner and who isn't, because with just some simple questions, we're able to pull the rug pull the curtain back and see that, okay, this individual, you might've learned about infinite banking from this person, but they weren't looking out for your best interests. They, they, in this situation, based on income, your financial situation, overall assets, there's some big holes that need to be filled here and they're not being serviced in the way that they should be. And it's just a matter of answering some simple questions. But this is why you want to talk to an authorized IBC practitioner, because we got to find out, we have to ask really pertinent questions to get the best possible solution, not just for you, but for your entire family. Yeah. And to become an authorized practitioner, you go through a significant vetting process. And so you know, everybody that you find on that site has already been vetted. And going back to John Montoya's story here, the reason why the premium is a problem, we talked about an indemnification for loss. And so if you make $100,000, the insurance company is not going to indemnify your family for $200,000 a year. They're going to indemnify your family for $100,000 a year. So the fact that this per this agent wrote a $200,000 a year uh, premium, just they're not doing this. They're not basing that on just basic insurance methodology. Like where on earth would this person who's making $100,000 come up with twice his income to fund a policy? The general rule of thumb, which is also appropriate to this conversation is the life insurance company will let you fund about 25% of your annual income into a policy in the form of premium. And so you can see that having 200% of your annual income, that's a pretty big jump. And I think, and then the problem is they were using his wife who earned $200,000. They were saying that she could fund the rest of it, but then it also goes against basic protection principles of why would you want to insure the husband for $200,000 of premium and whatever death benefit that bought and not insure the wife who earns twice as much as the husband, right? So it's like that spouse needs 
even more protection than the original spouse. So a lot of problems going on with that. And what unfortunately happens sometimes is when people first learn about IBC, they forget or they just gloss, they gloss over the importance and and the fact that we're dealing with life insurance. Like this isn't, it's not like a magical thing here. We're using a specific financial instrument to perform some very specific things. And we can't just make it do stuff that insurance can't do, if that makes sense. Man, that's a really good story, in my opinion, of what to really look out for in the underwriting process. And if you're seeing stuff like that, it's probably a good clue that there's a red flag there to maybe look in some other directions. Yeah. And it brings home the point. You can't just buy it. You have to qualify for it. Yeah. And that guy definitely would not qualify for a $200,000 a year premium. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it really, it's great to have that enthusiasm, but everything's got to make sense. That's right. That's right. So let's talk about the actual application process. And mm -hmm. there's two methods these days. There's paper or electronic. And they're really both pretty easy for a seasoned professional. One is definitely simpler and easier than the other. It just depends on which life insurance company is being used and what their process is. And, uh, and of course, that's all <laughs> correct. If you happen to be in New York state, you're most likely doing a paper application. <laughs> yeah, there's one state out of all of them yep. that definitely makes life a little bit more challenging than the rest of the states. And that would be New York. But aside from them, yeah, paper, electronic, and obviously coming out of COVID, electronic is the easiest way because I think most everyone is gotten used to doing a Zoom appointment. And in fact, it's yeah. been, I can't think of the last time where I had an appointment and the person had yet to do a Zoom appointment. Even that was standing, if it has to be done entirely over the phone or prehistoric in person, nothing wrong with that. But these days, everything is so conveniently done with the use of the internet. Life insurance companies are making the move to, to handling this process, the application process electronically. So it's great to have more and more life insurance companies take advantage of what's available. Yeah. Yeah. As a side note, I started in this business in New York. Most of my earliest clients were all New York clients. So I did a lot of paper applications, a lot of scanning and signing and scanning again. But it, again, it also does depend on the carrier. And either way, the application is still pretty straightforward. And it's usually, no matter which way you do it, as John Montoya mentioned, it's usually pretty easy. The only thing that you really need to have ready is just your basic information, like driver's license, address, income, all that stuff. And then most importantly, all of your medical information. So if you have any um, medical stuff going on, you need to have your prescription information ready, medical history ready, doctor information ready, and they're going to ask for all of that info on the application. Yeah, I would say from start to finish, it will take... On average, I've done it as quickly as 10 minutes, but depending on how much health information that needs to be provided can take anywhere an additional 15 to 20 minutes beyond that. But it's not a burden, burdensome type of uh, 
issue or challenge. It's just, it is what it is. An application must be filled out. It must be filled out completely. Yes. And, and you are honestly. testing. Uh, yes, exactly. You are testing that everything that you're answering is true and correct to the best of your knowledge. So you want to make sure that you're not leaving anything out because we live in the information age and you would maybe or maybe not be surprised, you know, what the life insurance companies can pull on you. They're, let's talk about real quickly what they're going to pull. They're going to pull a motor vehicle report. They're going to do a prescription check. They're going to request your medical records and they're really going to look for and see as much as they possibly can to determine if you're going to be a good underwriting risk for them. That's right. And, you know, it doesn't look good if you leave some things off or you're not honest about something that that can be reflected in the application and the underwriting process. And quite frankly, if we're all doing this to as a fellow owner in a mutual insurance company, we want everyone to be honest. Like it, if we're going to be partners in the same mutual company, I don't want people in there that are providing inaccurate or false information to the life insurance company for which we're doing all this underwriting and using, again, the actuarial science to back up the individual policies. We need people to be honest to when they're filling out the application. And I'll say one more quick thing. There are some reasons that benefit you, to be honest, on an application. One is what I just mentioned as a co-owner in the mutual insurance company. Every policy owner is, a, is an owner of the company, right? So that benefits you for everybody, to be honest. Um, but you also don't want to have any kind of situation where you provided inaccurate information and and then the person, the insured actually dies and then that inaccurate information comes to light, right? We don't, we wouldn't want to have anything like that happen where it could invalidate a death benefit, right? So those are very important. Another thing is that even if you get a suboptimal rating, right? A rating that's less than the best you can get. You can make improvements in your health if it's just something temporary, like you're a little overweight or something like that. You can make improvements in your health and you can have the policy redone and you can actually have the policy be reissued at your current better health rating a year down the road. And that can lower your premiums and do all these things. So nothing is like a totally permanent thing. However, and you also don't want to do it the other way where you're like, oh, my rating's not as good as I wanted. Maybe I'll hold off, right? Because then we don't know if you can qualify at all down the road, which we'll talk about. And just to interject one thing, some things are permanent, meaning if if you have, I actually did run into this. There was a person who really wanted to get started with IBC mm-hmm. and he had a brain injury. Yep. And with this type of brain injury, he would forget that he and I would have a conversation Mm -hmm. and this transpired over four to five years. He would reach out to me like every four to five months and initiate the whole conversation over again. And at a certain point, I really just had to take him off my email list and just block his number. So he wouldn't call me anymore because unfortunately he would, he would, never remember that 
we had these conversations and that he couldn't qualify. There, there are some things that are permanent and going maybe a step further because cancer is so prevalent in our society. You do have to be 10 years in remission in order to qualify. There, there are some things that are permanent. You're not going to be able to qualify, but there are other ones, whether it's losing weight, that's one year assessment typically. And on that note, whatever weight that you do lose, let's say you lose 20 pounds over a 12 month period, the way that the underwriters are going to look at it is they're going to say, okay, you lost 20 pounds. We're going to take half that as weight loss. So there there's different levels to it, but here's where you want to engage with a practitioner, someone who can provide the answers for you based off your situation on whether you're a good candidate now, what needs to be addressed. And maybe you're not a good candidate for IBC, but there's someone that you know and love who does have an insurable interest in you. And so we look at other ways to get you qualified and start that application process with a secondary insured. Yeah. And we probably ought to talk about the other major bifurcation in the health part of a life insurance, and that's whether or not you're a smoker, right? Tobacco and non-tobacco are two macro classifications that you can get. And those make a pretty big difference on the price of the life insurance premium. And so a lot of times a question will come up and by the way, they consider tobacco that can be vaping packets, smoking, all the patches. They're really looking at nicotine use as opposed to just the smoke. And a lot of people will be, will maybe think they could hold off for a month and quit smoking for a month and then apply. And again, it gets back to the honesty side of things. They're also probably going to require a paramedical exam, which is another um, possible requirement during the application process. And just like John was mentioning with cancer, having a 10 year period before you can qualify again, smoking is depending on the carrier somewhere around a year where you need to have quit smoking for about a year before you can qualify as a non-tobacco policy. Um, and then really quickly talking about the paramedical exam, sometimes what's required and we don't really know when the underwriters determine this and they'll say, Hey, we need to do a paramedical exam, which is just a, usually a blood and urinalysis, body weight measurements, that kind of thing, a basic physical type of thing. And we, those are usually done by third parties and they submit the information to the life insurance company for the underwriters to evaluate. And that helps them make an underwriting decision. A lot of people are already aware of that, but what they may not be aware of is for under certain underwriting amounts, um, let's just say 5 million or 3 million, depending on the carrier, a lot of times they don't even need a paramedical exam anymore to approve you for life insurance, which is a pretty big deal because it makes the underwriting process even faster for certain cases. Yeah, we're talking about as quickly as minutes from completing the application. Yeah. That, that's how quickly you can get an automated approval these days. If you have a clean prescription history, clean driving record, clean medical history, we've seen it happen and help clients get started really, it's almost like 24 to 48 hours yeah. from taking the application. So the standard underwriting time used to always be four to six weeks 
because a paramed exam was required. We talked a little bit about how life insurance companies are stepping into the 21st century and using technology. This really cuts down on the underwriting timeframe. So what used to be four to six weeks standard uh, can now be as short as 24 to 48 hours. So you just have to mentally prepare yourself because sometimes people have experience qualifying for life insurance outside of IBC and they're accustomed to it taking four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks. And they're just not accustomed to hearing, oh, you're approved right after (laughs) taking the application. But that's awesome news to share with people. Yes. Yeah, it can happen pretty fast. And so our job is to really get you very comfortable with the principles, the idea, the premium amounts and all of those things so that we're able to narrow things down. And that starts to get into the underwriting amounts. And so one of the things we wanted to talk about, we mentioned qualifying with your health and your wealth. And so how much can you qualify for during the application process? And so there's two primary ways of doing that. And the first one is what's called human life value. And we talked about that. That's indemnifying your family against the loss of your income. And so what they'll do is they'll just take your current income, multiply that times a number of years based on how much, how long you have left in the, uh, your, the working world. So for example, if you're 35, they'll, and you make a hundred thousand dollars, they'll just say, okay, you've got 30 years left where you're going to work. So we'll take 30 times a hundred thousand. That's $3 million. And the other way to do it is through assets. It's actually, it's not net worth, it's gross worth. And so they'll use an assets-based calculation methodology, whichever one is greater. When we typically, the way that we work is we, during the application process, we try to get you qualified for your full human life value. And so meaning we're trying to get you qualified for the maximum amount of insurance that we think you can get. And the reason we do this is because we can always get that maximum approval. And since an application doesn't obligate you to anything, we get you approved for as much as we can. And then we can work down from there based on what your requirements are. And the reason we do it that way instead of the other way is if we start low and try to go high and you actually want to get higher than what we got you qualified for, then we have to go back through underwriting to get that additional approval. So it's always easier to apply for the max because there's no obligation. It doesn't cost you anything. So we just get you approved for the max and then we work with um, within those parameters to get you what you want based on your cash flow, your insurance needs, all of those things. Well said. The last item, once your application is in, you have the approval, it's gone to issue. There's two ways for policies to be delivered. They can be delivered in person or snail mail. The other way is now electronic delivery. So DocuSign allows for the process to be done basically through your email. And because it is something that doesn't create a something tangible, something in your hand. What I always recommend to people who are doing a electronic delivery is make sure that once you've DocuSigned for the policy, once you've paid the premium, you keep a copy of this digital contract. You store the whole contract, keep it as a soft copy, but you also print out the first couple pages and you keep that with all your important paperwork, your birth certificates, your passports, basically 
wherever you keep your important paperwork, you need to include your contract because should something happen to you, you want to be sure that your loved ones know that you have this life insurance policy, you have this asset and that a claim needs to be filed. So really important that you, especially if you are doing the electronic delivery, you print out the first couple of pages. That's great. I never thought of that. I'm going to definitely add that to my operating procedures for me personally and my policies. So that's an awesome tip. And it was, it's assumed in what you just said, but I want to just point out what John Montoya was also saying is you need to communicate the presence of this life insurance policy to your loved ones or, and, or whoever's going to be in charge of things if you die and when you die. The communication and knowing where everything is, is a huge thing. When my, when my dad passed, I was, we had to go through all his documents and this is not an original story by any means, but getting through things and we found a couple life insurance policies, actually. They weren't that big, but we didn't even know they existed. And centralizing and backing up and communicating all of your financial plans is super, super important. As we wrap up here, we mentioned the best time to buy life insurance is 20, 30 years ago. The next best time is today. And that sounds a little cavalier when you say it sometimes it's but it's a good parable best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago the next best time is today but let me put a little context with that as it relates to life insurance and what we would call more typical type of financial planning um, most of the time if people are bought into the typical financial planning advice they're going things maybe a little bit out of order a lot of times people just start investing in things. We talked about this quite a bit where you go in and you do your HR paperwork at your new job and automatically you have a bunch of money rerouted into these qualified plans where you lose control and use of that for the next 20, 30 years. The thing about this, when it comes to investing or any other type of asset that you could buy, real estate, crypto, like whatever it is, of course there's timing issues in, in the market, but outside of those market timing things, you can buy that stuff anytime. You can buy it today. You can buy it tomorrow. You can buy it five years from now. You can buy it 10 years from now. With life insurance, on the other hand, you can buy it today if you qualify, but we don't know if you could buy it tomorrow, or we don't know if you can buy it five years from now or 10 years from now. And so when we think about the order of operations of things, life insurance should be one of the first things that you buy not only from the protection side of things, but also from the IBC side of things and the, the acceleration by having the correct structure in place, it's going to accelerate everything else that you're doing from an investment standpoint. But also it's not something you can put off because we don't know if you'll qualify for it in the future. And so that's something that we wanted to make sure we put out there on this particular episode, talking about applying and qualifying for life insurance. That's a golden nugget right there. Great talk, John. If anybody out there has any questions, as always, you can go to the edition.com and right there you can listen to all our podcasts. You can get transcripts. You can register for our online course and get a 50% discount. And most importantly, if you want to see if this is something and find out, have questions for how it could apply in your life specifically, you can book a no obligation free 30 minute consultation with one of us and we can have a chat. Wonderful. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll connect with you on the next episode. Thanks everybody.